0: Welcome to ADHD flourishing about living awesomely with autism and ADHD. You deserve recognition for both the challenges and the superpowers of this unique neurotype. Let's celebrate wisdom and support from real life stories and talk strategies to manage the difficulties of day-to-day life so we can move beyond that to thriving and building a sustainable and awesome life. If you want to be here, you are accepted here and you belong. I'm your Audi HD host, Mattia Murray. Let's do this. Welcome to my guest, Cassandra Idris. She is someone who I met in Philly a little over a year ago, and we have connected in a variety of ways. We have a lot of overlapping interests, including what we're going to be talking about today, which is in part collectives and how to build organizations that are as she put it kind to people like us. So ADHD and then other overlapping identities that we have. Is there anything you would like to add about how you're thinking about yourself right now?
1: No, that was great. Thank you. I'm, um, you know, it's been quite a year and certainly quite a month. So I've got just so much going on. It felt like a good time to kind of talk about what I'm doing because, you know, when we first, we met, I think maybe a year and a half ago socially. And then when we've when we first started talking seriously about work and coaching and all the things that we have overlapping was about a year ago. And it's really been um, the most, I mean, it's the first full year of HRT. So it's the most transformative year of my adult life. It doesn't get more transformative than that. And you've been really, really instrumental in helping me figure out how to deinstitutionalize myself after 25 years of life and work as the wrong person. Yeah. Big stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's the kind of thing when people now who are starting that journey come to me and they're like, I think I might be autistic. I'm like, congratulations. And I'm really sorry. Cause what else can you say?
0: I really appreciate that because I am seeing, I know this is a little bit tangential to what we're talking about, but I am seeing discourse in, you know, the sort of autistic uh, social media communities that I'm a part of where, you know, there's this move away from like, oh, it's not a disorder. And it's like, well, okay, but also like (laughs) it's a disability and whatever words you choose to use for yourself, it is disabling. And I know that that's part of what you've experienced in this last year, this like journey that you've been on.
1: I mean, most of the solitude I've needed has been to sit and process the fact that Oh, about once a week, something happens that shows me how much more disabled in this society I am than I ever knew before. And like each time it happens, it's not any easier. It's just as earth shattering. Like, so... About 52 times this year. I've experienced maybe more. I've experienced that loss of frame of reference about who I thought I was and had to sort of come to understand just simple stuff. Like, you know, the actual joke about the chicken isn't that like, it's an anti-joke that like, oh, ha ha, he got to the other side. It's a joke about death. Like, I didn't know that till last year. Same. (laughs) Yeah, just little stuff like that, but also really huge stuff. Like, oh, I was never able to do those things. I was just creating a false reality in which I was, and using the anxiety of imposter syndrome to drive me to accomplish tasks. And after twenty plus years of working like that, it just doesn't work anymore. I don't have that ability. It's gone, and the skill regression that we all experience when we come to terms with just because I used to doesn't mean I still can.
0: Yeah. And that burnout cycle.
1: Yeah. I I hit my first burnout in 2018. I didn't know it was a burnout then. To me, it was leaving my ex in a very tragic and unfortunate situation that, you know, is still ongoing. So I won't go into the details, but you know, we are, it's, it's an odd experience to have that sort of road to Damascus kind of spiritual awakening. Nervous breakdown, really, but we like to say nice things and not be mean. Um, And also at the same time, be completely accountable and responsible for repairing the wreckage of the past years living completely dissociated from who I was. Um, You know, it's 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 been it's been a a journey of complete contradictions and a, a total Masterclass on learning how to accept that two things or more can be true at once because I really believed that I at this point in recovery would also like I thought that like enlightenment also came with like a curing of your of your ailments but like uh. the famous joke from like Ram Das is when an asshole becomes enlightened you just have an enlightened asshole and like It doesn't take away the trauma. It doesn't. It just means it's not the water I swim in anymore. And I choose when and where and how to employ those traits rather than having those traits be who I thought I was. It's that sort of movement from identification with thought to movement to identification with the awareness of being.
0: And can you say more about what you mean when you use the word enlightenment? Because I've heard that used in a variety of ways.
1: I don't use it in the sort of Western mysticalized sort of, you know, like um, orientalist sense. I'm using it in the sense that I believe that my thoughts are not who I am as a person. They are things that arise in consciousness like thinking is to thought as seeing is to sight. But when I look at the Mona Lisa, I don't think I'm the Mona Lisa. But if I have the thought that, oh God, this happened because I'm the worst, I think I'm the worst. And it takes a long time and a lot of trauma aware therapy to like go from that place of total self-rejection to a place where I love myself today and I accept who I am. And it's an ongoing, uh labor of love to come out of my shell you know like as we've always known like queer people come out constantly it's not just once you say i'm out like you're just constantly coming out all the time about everything and that's what makes me Unsuitable for most organizations at this point, because the things that I've faced in myself and the ways in which I am matter of fact about things that make neurotypical people extremely uncomfortable and upset for me doing make it very difficult for me to last more than a few months, even in progressive, liberal, community care oriented organizations. Uh, that, That was my experience the last few months where um you know when we talked a year ago i realized I, and, and we we did some coaching and and it was really helpful but it was the realization that i was not in any way capable of doing what i wanted to do yet like i could see the path to institutionalized and to traumatized to really do much more than Collect my unemployment when I lost my corporate job for the same reasons, um, and then figure out a way to find another job that could sustain me while I was still recovering. You know, six months of unemployment is not enough. We we need what two three years? I think I've heard you say something like that. So it's really been recovery from burnout in stages because it took me forty two years to hit my first burnout. It took me. Another three years to hit my second. It took me four months to hit the next. And it you know, it's it was just as simple as like I knew this in um theory because people had told me that NGO jobs were just as exploitive and ruthless and hierarchical and all the things I had seen in twenty plus years in corporate h r. So I learned in four months, and you know, um <laughs> I saw a meme. Just yesterday or something, it was like, I bring a, I came back from the dead. So none of this stuff really matters at all to the workplace that management really doesn't appreciate. And, you know, that's really what it is. It's like nothing that is done in any of these hierarchical corporate institutions that are part of the mainstream in, in NGO industrial complex is done to the degree that it would need to be done to be effective it's always done to the degree to give people plausible deniability that the work is being done but really the covert purpose for all of these is uh, institutions is to build a government and continue to grow just like every other hierarchical capitalist organization the fact that it puts its money into a reserve fund and then dolls that money out as charity or doesn't you know i mean we've all heard the stories about the United Way, So we know how that works. So.
0: Yeah. Well, and a lot of their goal as well, because I've, I've worked in a similar setting, it, which is also healthcare oriented and also uh, substance use oriented is even though there are plenty of lovely people there, including clinicians who have good intentions and there are you know lots of individuals that are lovely. The point of the organization as a whole, I think is largely to create, just enough control and compliance to essentially not affect property values i mean that's one of the one of the things right it's like you know keep keep the people who the system perceives as problematic just enough out of the public view so that everybody else can go about living their lives
1: and also to maintain an area where the most warlord capitalism real estate development can happen because yeah. that is At least in southeastern Pennsylvania, and I'm sure in many other parts of the country, the main sort of way, if you want to join the capitalist gang, that you get your start. You you have the cheapest property and the least regulation and very little policing. And so one of the things I saw working in these neighborhoods providing mutual aid, I mean, I was a paraprofessional providing case management services, but that's just a way to do mutual aid without doing mutual aid and act like mutual aid doesn't work. And that's a lot of what happens is that you get these really transformative frameworks like harm reduction and housing first. And then you see how the liberal NGO infrastructure implements it wrong on purpose and then claims it doesn't work. And you see how organizations that maybe form with a a radical kind of let's do our own thing get co-opted by accepting the funding from those systems. And so that's actually a great segue to talk about the project my friends and I have co-founded recently. Um, It's a mutual aid project. We really just have a placeholder name of Philadelphia mutually at this point, but we were just accepted to the Open Collective Foundation, which is huge. Open Collective runs a foundation where uh, it's mostly designed for software, open source software projects, but they do also have a social mission attached. And we Fit into their social mission, so they have accepted us, which means we have a legal entity, an ultimate sponsor who will allow us to fundraise under their banner and and take care of taxes and all that sort of thing, um, which is a huge leg up to a three person project that's you know maybe raised ten or fifteen thousand dollars at this point. Which to me, I'm like overwhelmed by that level of success in such a short time, but. I also understand that to run an organization like this, you need a multimillion dollar budget, and I'm not going to get that from the state or from corporate institutions running the kind of organization that I know we need to run in order to sustain ourselves safely. So it becomes a matter of finding creative sources of funding, um, you know, and We can probably talk about that a little bit later because I have a few ideas. I don't want to give away too much at this point because it's still pretty nascent, but, um, you know, things have been moving very quickly and I'm extremely encouraged by how people have responded to what we want to do, because it really speaks to the point that the late David Graber was making in the book bullshit jobs. Yes. Love David. Um, you know, I've had, Actual human executives in the social services world tell me to my face that the reason they were paying me less than what I would be paid elsewhere is because the work has inherent meaning. And there isn't really enough of that work to go around. Like they have internalized David Graeber's point, because as another late theorist, Mark Fisher, So aptly explained, capitalism has the ability to recapitulate even the most radical thought back in by selling it back to us. And and he called that capitalist realism. And that is essentially an effect of the way in which they were able to convince people that history was over. You know, they Mm -hmm. even wrote a book, I forget the court intellectuals name but he wrote a book the end of history and that is the state that the American Anglo-American empire has tried to hold the world in for the last 40 years like people joke that the Simpsons guy is like Nostradamus no no no. it's just been this shitty the whole time like he's just been describing the present moment and for the present moment we've had different versions of Reagan every president for the last 40 years you know and like People who've lived through that, I, I was born in the 70s. I don't remember, you know, any president before Reagan because he was, you know, I, I was too little to remember Carter. I was born at the end of the 70s. And that's just the world we've lived in. And, you know, in the 90s, when I was young and starting out, it was impossible to question that orthodoxy without literally being seen as someone who was insane and dangerous. And right. um that the idea of me saying publicly, let's just form a workers' collective <laughs> in the 90s would, it, it's hilarious to me. My generation has this sort of reputation for not giving a crap about anything. But it wasn't that we didn't give a fuck. It was just that there wasn't any point. Like the, yeah. the, why throw yourself into a, into a, a, Meat brick grinder. constantly. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, why do totally. that? You know, it's just easier to get paid for a while. Yeah.
0: And to draw a, a, I think a strong thread between a lot of what you're saying, as you start gaining this self-awareness through trauma recovery, you start being more aware of your own internal mechanisms. You start moving towards self-kindness. I mean, you personally, right. But also us, you know, as we, as we go through this journey, I think a lot of us go through this type of journey and especially as neurodivergent people, then, okay. I start being loving and kind to myself. And of course, I'm looking around my workplace with all this toxic stuff, as you did, right? In a couple of different situations and you start speaking up about stuff and or, you know, coming out, right? And and being yourself and not having people treat you well and speaking up about that. So uh, the variety of ways in which you were seeing toxic things happen, it's directly, I think, related to this self-kindness and this awareness. And then this awareness of, you know, the historical and larger, you know, this this like, urge for justice that a lot of us have and this interest in building better systems and systems thinking and, you know, pattern recognition, all these things come together. And it, it, I mean, In a way, I think a lot of what you and I have experienced is that it makes us almost unemployable because there's a very narrow set of jobs where they're even getting close to meeting any of our values. And then even within that, we're looking around and we're like, well, this is clearly a bunch of bullshit, (laughs) like the people at the top are being terrible.
1: It makes us unemployable unless we are employed in organizations that are by us, for us, and funded by us. We have to be fully self-supporting through our own devices as a community of queer people, neurodivergent people, and all of the intersections that come with that. And we honestly have to put ourselves in service of building solidarity with all of the other marginalized communities around us because we are not big enough or strong enough or well-resourced enough to survive on our own. And You know, there's been plenty of awareness lately about the limits of the ally model and ally can always change sides when it behooves them. That's what allyship is. But solidarity means that I believe that my struggle is intimately tied to the struggles of every other marginalized group in the city of Philadelphia and in the greater global community. And I know this to be true because it it wasn't the cishet white people that stood up for me. It wasn't the cishet white people that were in group therapy with me telling me things like, Honey, you gotta forgive who you used to be. They got you here. Like, what are you doing? Like, come on. That that wasn't cishet white people doing that, you know? And I I don't say that to say that we can never be safe around cishet white people. I am raising a son that is a very kind and soft and beautiful as far as he has explained to the world a is white person so like i know it to be true i do have those friends who have stuck around and who are clearly cis men but like now we have relationships where i can tell them i love them and it's not weird and they can tell me their um like deepest pain and it's not weird and it and it made everything in my life make sense while at the same time taking me from the most privileged position in society possible when it comes to patriarchy. And, putting me at the bottom. And that was a choice I made, which, you know, is a choice I make every single day, because I transitioned late in life. And I will likely never pass as a woman, certainly not a cis woman, unless I do a tremendous amount of things to myself that I'm not interested in doing. You know, it's that old, like, why would I trade one set of oppressive gender standards for another kind of, you know, transition? And what that's led me to see is that there is no way that we can find a place without having our self-determination and there's no organization in the world that will grant a person like you or i self-determination other than an organization completely run by and for other people like us it's just it's not possible the the gap between the way that A neurotypical heterosexual cisgender person sees the world and the way I see the world is too great. And there's the study of psychology in the West has only ever been what a person, a study of what a person can be manipulated into doing under capitalism. Like, that's really all it is. It's, It's not some universal truth. You know, there's 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 no such thing as any of these categories like mental illness or even disorder. These are just contested definitions and power relations that we're talking about. But I can't imagine something I've seen my neurotypical bosses over the last couple of years get more upset about than me directly addressing the facts of the matter in a systemic way that addresses power relations and considers the sort of imperfectness of their categories, because that's what their whole lives are built on. And I'm not... In my mind, as an autistic person, I am discussing a failed idea and a desire to change frameworks because I never had a frame of reference. I wasn't allowed as a child to have independence or self-determination or really a worldview. I was just given, uh, I was an attachment to the ego of a larger family system. I wasn't a person until I was able to escape from that family system. So that sort of combination of what they call a disordered sense of justice, which, I mean, if you need to understand how illegitimate the entire medical model for diagnosis is, you look at the fact that our insistence on truth and justice is somehow pathologized by that system. Um, I lost my train of thought completely.
0: (laughs) Well, and one of the, this actually, I think is getting close to one of the things you mentioned that I I would love to have you explain, which is that the, uh, toxic family systems and toxic workplaces Mm -hmm. are the same thing.
1: Absolutely. There is no ancestral validity to the nuclear family. And if, You are an abolitionist, and I am, and you have to include the nuclear family and the Western institutionalized version of childhood in your abolitionism, because those are two of the most harmful things we participate in on a daily basis. The plantation model is the model that the modern workplace is modeled on. And the plantation model is also the model that the nuclear family is modeled on. You have a very clear hierarchical system with People who are property, you know, children are property. And consequently, children are the most abused and disadvantaged people in society. Certainly, you know, the intersections that you can add to that will increase or decrease those marginalizations, but we really have to ruthlessly interrogate. All of our assumptions, if we want to be part of this new world, because I think that this era will become to will come to be known as the Great Divergence, or if you're feeling spicy, the Great Derangement, because it's just absolutely stunning the levels to which all. I mean, I guess I'm quoting a Christian Slater movie from the 90s, but like all of the themes have been hollowed out and turned into theme parks, that there really is no meaning or um, morality or any sense of institutional honesty left. It's just a, a hollowed out warlord capitalist version of what you and I were taught in school with those silly things like how a bill becomes law. Like it's just not it's not real and you know uh, uh, fortunately or unfortunately my special interest was understanding patterns and understanding people's motivations and figuring out what's really going on and now i can't not see it so like you know it it it's led to some really difficult realizations where i thought i was doing one thing but in the postmortem i had to look at myself from the perspective of ifs and parts work and like this the alternate explanation for what happened here: that my inner child, that's wounded, and the protectors that I've developed around that inner child were acting in opposition to my stated goals, and actually just trying to get me out of this situation as quickly as possible, and not really considering anything else. Like, yeah, I probably have to 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 talk about that because. There's a reason why people wind up with bad bosses that remind them of one of their parents, you know? And and like there's a (laughs) sorry. (laughs) My friends and I joke where we're like, listen, buzz off, or I'm gonna tell you about a pattern of behavior that it's obvious to me that you haven't addressed yet.
0: (laughs) And actually this, okay. This also brings us back to because I was gonna ask you, I feel like we've kind of we've touched a little bit on kind of like the beginning. you know, a year ago or so, and then sort of a little bit about where you are right now. I would, Mm -hmm. if, if there's a way in which it's comfortable for you to talk about it, I would love to hear more about the journey part of it, because I feel like a lot of what, a lot of what I feel like people are looking for when they're looking for stories from people like them is not just the, where were you and where are you, but like, what did you do? Right. What, what was the actual process? Not because we would use the same process for each of us, but just this sort of like seeing. Someone like struggle. me go through. I would
1: struggle telling this story because, like, I want to go back to like when I was an embryo, you know, like, and there's mm-hmm. like a place at which the story has to start that probably isn't 40 plus years ago. So where do you like? I, I think I'll probably start at 2018 because that was the latest iteration of the journey. You know, sure. I, 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 I most trans people will tell you that the the journey of medical transition of becoming transsexual is one of returning through time to the places at which you knew who you were, but made yourself forget. Um, At least late identified people like me, Um, you know, It's a breadcrumb trail back to myself and all the places in time where I actually was myself, I was Cassandra, I was this person, I just didn't have the language or know my name or understand what was going on and 2018, as the result of euphoric recall from a relative confessing to trauma that I had long suppressed because they were afraid of exposure and wanted me to resume my role of of covering for them in the toxic family system, uh, created the entire space in my mind to remember who I was, and it included the trans part. It included everything, and. Um, Outwardly, it looked like an existential crisis leading to a nervous breakdown and a person destroying their life. And, you know, there's a group of people in Philadelphia who believe me to be Kaiser Soze essentially because of that. Um, I mean, Matt Walsh or one of those other lunatics even tweeted something about directly how a man who leaves his uh, family and transitions is like, hitler essentially you know and and it, it, or some sort of like the worst thing in the world could be because i mean we really are traitors to patriarchy like the 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 thing that they're reacting to is is the thing in themselves that's saying i'm being harmed by patriarchy too but and this person it's not fair that they're not being harmed like that anymore and if they continue to not be harmed that way, I'm going to do something violent about it. And because it, you know, if
0: anyone can escape from the system, the system has lost power.
1: Exactly. And it's, and it also, there's also a mythological content because all of these fundamentalists have been told their entire life that they are the meek that'll inherit the earth and the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And no, it's trans people. Sorry. You know, and like they're watching, <laughs> they're watching us have the people flock to us the way that they were sort of promised and they're watching themselves become more and more marginalized and more and more pushed to the fringes and that's really what I think is driving this great derangement and it's not just your hardcore Trump loving people you see it within the conflict like the the liberals who were extremely unhinged when he became president I now understand we're just upset at being shown a mirror of their own sort of behavior and attitudes that were, you know, because Trump is sort of the, the ultimate overt narcissist and there's nothing a covert narcissist hates more than an overt narcissist because they lose to an overt narcissist every time. So he's every one of their abusive stepfathers. He's every one of the, and it forced a lot of people to either look at their own shit or Go deeper into not looking at their own shit. And so I'm sort of amused at the way in which a lot of that sort of comeuppance is happening at the same time, like the same time Trump is having his moment in court, all of the toxic liberal systems that are oppressing me essentially are having their moments where they're falling apart, like the like as i've been sharing with you over text the hardest thing for me is to learn how to experience and deal with joy in a healthy way i know how to handle trauma uh, like in the pandemic i was in my glory i wasn't like i knew how to handle the 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 sort of fear and and terror of living like that in the early stages of the, of the quarantine. But like now when so much has shifted and I'm experiencing this joy and, and frankly winning, you know, I I know how to lose. I I don't know how to win. I'm ridiculously constantly overstimulated by the parts of me that feel rejected by self-care and community care and all of this good stuff that I'm doing. Like, I was meeting with the collective yesterday that we found, and we have so much good news, not only in fundraising, but also in finding a space. And just this is really happening. It's not like a pipe dream where we talk about it, but then let others convince us we can't when we know we can. Like, we're just not listening to anybody else, you know, and there's this amazing quote from a movie in 2001 that Richard Linkletter did called Waking Life about dreaming, you know, because the essential thesis, I'm going to ruin the movie. Don't listen. If you don't want to go, want to watch it and have it. Um, The essential thesis of the movie is that when you are able to exist in a state of discernment and, and peace and stillness within your body, you are able to live life as if it is a lucid dream while awake. And, one dreamer can do only so much in a world where everyone's doing that. It's just most people aren't aware that like they're ordering up their own demise constantly because they're obsessed with it, you know, and, and the shift that happens when we get to that integration point where we can see, Oh, I'm mad at this boss. Cause he reminds me of my abusive grandfather and I'm fighting a battle from like 30 years ago with a dead man. I'm not really Interacting with this boss, I'm, you know, projecting my own trauma on him. He's reacting to that and projecting his back on me, and we're not having any sort of interaction beyond two ants bouncing off each other with their feelers.
0: I'm really interested in this topic of, uh, well, the phrase I think you used was ordering up your own demise.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm totally stealing this from another podcast.
0: What I would like to kind of uh, I guess, nuance this with is, so I, I just in my own personal journey, I feel like I have been harmed by ideas of radical responsibility and like, it's all you right. All this stuff, these things can be weaponized. And I think both Cassandra and I have experienced the more positive side of that driven by autonomy, where it's like, okay, I'm forgiving my former self for the things that I did, you know, in these previous versions of my life, you know, that were harmful, that were actively harmful, um, taking responsibility for it and forgiving myself while also recognizing, obviously that it came out of all these trauma responses and toxic situations and blah, blah, blah. Right. There's this, there is a way of, and, and to me, it's sort of this like awareness or, you know, I know you've used the word acceptance. I think there's, there's something in this like awareness, acceptance, um, um, kind of in in that that can actually be radical, but isn't just this shitty term that has been weaponized against a lot of us. So I would love to hear you talk about the nuance of that, because I don't want people to walk away thinking that we're just like, oh, yeah, just, you know, <laughs> accept everything.
1: At the risk of sounding too conspiratorial, I think it really speaks to the most regime we've all lived under. And our entire model of mental health, I mean, Alan Watts identified this while it was happening. The the psychiatrists are the bishops, the therapists are the priests, but it's the new inquisition. It's about what type of consciousness is allowable and what type is heretical. And by creating these false categories that are essentially just different ways to marginalize and discard people when they don't, have easily treatable issues that can return them to productivity quickly you know if the if the if trauma ever got its due the dsm would be a pamphlet you know and and the entire model of diagnosing based on statistical symptoms like it's great for things like billing insurance companies and creating frameworks with which to analyze things but like so is astrology you know like it, it, it's a, it, like it's a Douglas Adams line about astrology. Like if you create any system of arbitrary rules and apply and, and apply it to your life, it's going to work. And the more arbitrary and the most more detailed the system is, the more insight it's going to give you. That's just mythology like. What we're experiencing now is the fact that end-stage capitalism has completely co-opted and sucked the meaning out of everything. So your options are malignant narcissism leading to complete nihilism or losing your mind because of betrayal and finding solace in art and absurdism, essentially. Like, I, I don't know a trans woman that doesn't eventually get to a place where they're like, Fuck it. Chaos doesn't, chaos or order are the same thing. Let's just have fun. Like, and that's the only way we can get through transition without losing our minds.
0: I'm just sitting with that for a moment
1: it's hard because everything points back to the same thing, which is you're so much more disabled than you ever thought you were. And society is so much more harmful to you than you ever possibly could have known. And like, there was a jokey TikTok sound for a while. Oops, I accidentally created a false reality and like queer people latched onto that because as you know, you can live in a false queer reality for most of the time to the point where like sometimes you'll be confused. you will be like, Oh that's a straight couple I forgot about them like it it it's Not completely untrue. It's just that we're living in a time where the old world is dying, the new world struggles to be born, and there are monsters running around rampant. And, you know, I'm I'm using that term monster very loosely. I don't believe in good people or bad people or monsters. There's just, again, contested definitions, power relations, trauma, access to resources, and the intersections of all of those intersectional qualities we talk about.
0: And one thing that I've just, this has been on my mind so much lately is just, we have all of the resources that we need globally for everybody for a really long time, right? Like we have so much, I mean, we have enough in the U S to very directly give every person a hundred thousand dollars a year, very easily. Like universal basic income doesn't have to be $30,000 $30,000 a year it could be, you know, a, a six figures for everybody. And, and that money just exists. Like we have it, right. I'm not saying we should do that. And that's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying we should do that. Not because I think we shouldn't, but because I don't think that just like doing that in America is the answer. Right. Cause part of the problem, I think with us, like for me, having grown up in America with this, with this, these incredibly toxic ideas of what it means to succeed and get ahead is that if somebody just drops a bunch of money on me, My first instinct, if I don't question it, is just to buy shit that Mm -hmm. I don't actually even necessarily want. I mean, there are a few things I could probably use, but...
1: That's a really important point about collectivization. The reason collectivizing is so important to me is that my career started entrepreneurially. Like I say I worked in corporate HR, but I worked on the other side of corporate HR. I worked in the agency business, placing technical consultants, which in the 90s in New York was like a very, very lucrative job. And I fell into it like no one becomes a tech recruiter because they grew up wanting to be everybody fell into it. But I fell into it in 1998 at the beginning of the tech boom. And within a year, I was making more money in six months than my father made in a year and nobody could tell me anything. And it really... Poisoned my mind. That and the neoliberal education of the political science degree I got, even at the City University of New York, which at the time was known as a hotbed of radicalism, it wasn't, uh, took me 10 years to deprogram from. And it reminds me of the Toni Morrison quote that if I don't have, if I have community, I don't need success. And the thing about white supremacy and patriarchy and capitalism is that there is nothing there to bind white people together in a way that gives us any sense of community. So we all know that that's not available to us. And if you get white people talking long enough, some of them will even admit to feeling that sense of loss that they don't have the community that black people or immigrant groups have because they know that it's missing. They just don't understand that in order to get that, you have to stop prioritizing that toxic individualistic success, and start instead prioritizing community. It's the same reason the NGOs can't solve the problems that they are tasked with solving, because you can only have one master. And no matter how many floral, very nice sounding goals you put in your mission statement, if your livelihood and your continued existence in the middle or upper middle class is the most important thing to you, then you're always going to make the decision that supports that. And so for the majority of my career, I existed as a very ruthless entrepreneur who only cared about My immediate nuclear family's well being in the considerations that I made in my career. So, what I'm doing now is very much accountability and amends, but it's born out of the fact that I have now thrown away $2 billion careers in my lifetime. And there are many people in the world who will never forgive me for that. So, I don't have, you know, any, to quote Courtney Love, any credit in the straight world left. It's a, I've busted it all out, or I'm in the process of busting it all out. And now is the time that I need to shift and move into building this new world of collective, non-hierarchical, democratically centralist organizations that don't need leaders. Like There's no reason that, like I'll be honest with you, if you asked me to be a third grade teacher, I would freak out and leave in about four hours. But if you put me in the principal's office, I could probably figure out how to do that job in about a week and nobody would know the difference. And it's like that pretty much in any organization. Like if you put a a smart, talented, neurodivergent person in the leadership role, like the organization will run better, you know, but if you take that fish out of water and Try to shove that person into a neurotypical organization where it's just about productivity and we don't care. You know, like it's your job to not push yourself too hard. We are all going to burn out. And I needed this year to like let go and mourn the fact that I will not have that pushy, you know, salary benefited lifestyle, but I will have my integrity and I will have my soul. And honestly, the the middle-class American lifestyle as the world falls apart around us just isn't really enough anymore. If I'm not working, no, it doesn't give me, like if all I got from recovery was like two weeks off a year and like a nice condo and maybe a car, like I I, I wouldn't have been enough. I would have picked the other, the, the, the unaliving option. It just, it, it, it had to be bigger. And what I learned was that collectivizing and, instituting a chosen family sense of my life and building community real community like community is 30 to 50 people that is a scientific fact when people talk about the queer community and they mean every queer person in the city, they're just Fantasizing about something that doesn't exist. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of thirty to fifty-person communities around each person, and that's really all a human being can actually have as a community. Like our brains don't don't parasocially bond or even socially pack bond with more than that.
0: So I don't know if this is a I don't know if this concept has any merit that I'm about to say, but I was just thinking uh, as you were talking about I'm just. You know, drawing connections between some various things we've touched on today. I know, and everybody who's worked in activism or, you know, mutual aid spaces knows that there's a lot of traumatized people and that there's just, it's really difficult to organize and get Mm -hmm. things done because the people who care the most and are the most marginalized and the most traumatized typically have, you know, they're, they're the most maxed out and the most on the edge of burnout. Right. And this just happens all the time, right. This burnout. But what I was thinking about in particular is that especially in this medicalized model, I think a lot of the people that are showing up for the activist work are either coming out of a background where they had more money and or access to traditional healing models and have done more trauma healing, but have less understanding or connection to the sort of like political necessity of oh my god we have to do this now and then the people who like fully understand the political necessary out of personal experience have often had less uh you know access to the sort of like personal healing side not that that's the only way to approach healing so i'm being clear about that but it's just that like these are kind of two of the groups that i see you know trying to form activist spaces and it's really difficult to create a collective when that's a lot of who's there, because there's, anyway, there's just so much trauma bouncing around. And that's part of what I you think, and I have been talking about in like, how do we make these spaces actually help people, you know, be working through their stuff steadily as they're doing the work?
1: I think the most the most important thing a collective has to address is the fact that the machine is not paying us to take it apart. The only reason we're able to even talk openly about this and form these things out in the open is that the machine is bleeding to death. And while something is incapacitated, it is possible to misappropriate and confuse the resources the machine possesses in order to use them to develop your own productive forces. And so really, it's an explicit turning of the tables of the politicization of neuro divergence and the sort of using us as a tool for their ends into a hey there's a better way and we can do this for ourselves and we don't need to be exploited by bosses when each one of us is a completely inspired and inspirational person when we are allowed to practice our self-determination and it doesn't really take that much to set up an organization that prioritizes that. I worked in a multi-billion dollar technology company that was that, they just didn't know it. You know, they had prioritized their systems design and in fact, we're a consulting, our consulting company that espouses pattern recognition and, you know, systems thinking because in large, disparate, complex, distributed software projects, you have to do that. If you can't do that, it won't work. So what they did by accident, I'm trying to do on purpose.
0: Nice. Yeah. And also just reflecting again on the, the pattern recognition, when you hear someone with pattern recognition and, you know, passion in their values behind it, talking about things like this, this is the kind of stuff that was getting people institutionalized you know, for decades, especially black people getting, um, schizophrenia diagnoses because they didn't like the government. And it's like, Oh God, I wonder why you don't like the government. Right. Like this kind of, so just that, like, even just you talking about factual things that are definitely happening in the world, but just drawing connections between them sounds like the kinds of things that got people locked up.
1: Well, that speaks to the nature of the inquisition, because once they take away your personhood and tar you with some sort of crazy person diagnosis like that never returns you cannot get your personhood back from the inquisition because as soon as they say oh well this person's schizophrenic of course that's what a schizophrenic person would say to try to act normal like it's not real in my estimation most of what gets described in the Di- in the in the, the marginalized or or stigmatized diagnosis, it's trauma. It's the results of the highest levels of adverse childhood events coupled with the highest levels of oppression as an adult. And I have rarely seen someone that didn't fit that. I mean, it it goes right back to the fact that Freud identified that almost every single one of his female clients with rich industrialist fathers had been raped or otherwise sexually assaulted by them. And when he started talking about this, all hell broke loose. And now we have the Oedipal and Electra complex, which is what set the model for taking the effects of systemic abuse on our mental health and turning it into mental illness and pointing the finger at the individual. But that is the functional understanding of the medical establishment. Like they are not interested in survivors or survivorship because we were supposed to die and a survivor can tell tales and they do not like that. That, you know, is what is driving a lot of the sort of attacks on our community because in order to be a trans woman, you are a survivor. In order to be a trans man, you are a survivor. The world was set up to keep us from becoming who we are. And in order to transmute that, you have to experience enough betrayal. Like there's a, a spiritual teacher that I that I follow that has often said in many places, I hope you have enough betrayal in your life so that you get to find meaning. And it's a hard pill to swallow, but it is the truth. Like, the reason I can see these things and be able to face my own self that way is because I have had my frame of reference destroyed constantly over the course of my lifetime. And that's another thing I didn't even understand, that it was non-typical to have had thousands of existential crises over the course of your lifetime to have lived in an existential crisis your entire childhood. I didn't know what that was or that it wasn't the typical Yeah. (laughs) Like the problem with people and trauma awareness, and I actually had a director of HR say this to me where she said, stop talking about your trauma. I know you have trauma. I'm aware of your trauma. And and I was shocked because I was just like, do you think that's what trauma awareness means? Like that's the level that a lot of people are functioning on. They think trauma means mommy was mean to me once when really it means my parents ran a system that reversed parent and child and systematically denied me agency autonomy or self-determination until I figured it out when I was, well, I didn't figure it out. My best friend brought LSD over, but I, at 14, Saw through all that and stopped participating and learned how to traumatize them back to get free of it and then I was on my own from 16 and like had to figure that stuff out so. I didn't even learn the word reactive abuse until maybe two years ago. I was just convinced by people who were more covert about their narcissism than I was that I was the biggest monster who ever lived. And as long as I put myself in service to that person's narrative and ego, everything would be fine. And I lived my life just looking for another abusive person to hand me my demise because... I had lived so covertly and refused to exist. I had survived by hiding and any type of exposure felt like death. So it was much simpler to adopt my oppressor's vision of me and do it to myself, as James Baldwin has so aptly described many times, and hide in that notion of my own horribleness. And it was my, my trauma therapist, who's the closest thing to a father I've ever had, who was just like, listen, you know, cause I was like, I, I went to him cause people told me I needed to. And I was at the beginning of this journey and they said, everyone I knew said he was the guy. And I went to him and I was like, what's the point? Like, Mike, what, what, what is the fucking point? Like, this is the world is a piece of shit and it's just getting worse. And he goes, yeah, but you've been blaming the, yourself the whole time. Wouldn't you rather be able to hold the people who did it to you accountable? And that was all it took, you know, like being able to finally be free. And and the scariest part is that I'm free now. Like I don't subscribe to any of those patterns anymore. In fact, I'm parenting a 15 year old who I raised in that system for 10 years to a place where he's free of it too. And I'm having experiences where like people are coming to me because of it and saying you're What I thought was oversharing, but I guess was helpful, like your journey and the way in which you were public about it, like has really helped me. And, you know, like that brought me to a place where it's like, okay, it's collective mutual aid. That's all we can do. How do we make it possible for us as the most capable people to do this work in society can do it without being interfered with? Because the other side of the NGO industrial complex isn't just about financialization and, and creating a, 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 precari- a workforce that lives in precarity and breaking the unions, though that's a huge part of it. It's also about purposely not allowing these problems to be solved through collective action. Like, what would happen if all of a sudden the NGO industrial complex in Philadelphia completely cleaned up Kensington Avenue and you had an, and and really helped people transcend their capitalism trauma and didn't conflate productivity with wellness? Well, you would be creating a reserve army of unemployable people who now had all the time in the world to organize. So you can see why these systems can never actually do what they're stated goal is and that it has to fall on us
0: i just want to make the fire emoji repeatedly yeah, yeah. <laughs> so as we wrap up a uh, couple things that i thought you might want to share with people I'm not sure one is i don't know if you want to share your uh playlists like that
1: you've been oh my god i don't know if
0: you we can just get this if if not i'll give you i'll I'll give you my soundcloud
1: link so like i mean you've known me for a while and you know we've gone into pretty deep parts work and and you know done that type of stuff but like really i'm talking to you from the place of observing the observer in this and cassandra is much more of an ethereal being that really only speaks in music. So I have a SoundCloud. And I basically, because you taught me how by hypnotizing me, learned how to do hypnotherapy on myself through DJing techno. So I probably spend 10, 15 hours a week, just on that creative pursuit. And it really has been a labor of love. So, I'm happy to share my SoundCloud though. It's funny because I'm at the point where I really want to be seen and start performing and I'm I'm working towards doing that. I I had my first gig scheduled last month but the weather canceled it and it'll be next month. But I'm completely unwilling to do any of the things that DJs have to do on social media or in society in order to get those gigs. So, instead, I'm just going to build a all-encompassing series of decentralized federated collectives that take care of every one of our basic needs, including arts and culture. And and I could just have my thing. It might be a little bit, it might be a little bit overcomplicated, but like, you know.
0: And then if people want to connect to either learn more about the collective and or mm-hmm. donate because i don't know if mm-hmm. you know if there, i don't know if there's anything set so i up actually
1: just yet. got the email from the program director at open collective foundation that we have been accepted and we have to go through onboarding um but i'll provide the link to the page on open collective so uh, right now we're calling ourselves Philadelphia, Philly Mutual Aid Collective, just because it wasn't really worth trying to come up with a better name at this point. And really, it's not about marketing ourselves as a collective. It's about doing the work. So
0: awesome. So whenever that link is ready, we'll put that in. Well, this will also won't go. Up oh, that link weeks, is ready so. now. Okay. It's just not
1: it's just not up for donate. There's not a donation link up right now, but it okay. will be as soon as they approve us. And then, yeah, we'll be in business.
0: It's great to talk to you as always. Those Wonderful. Will be in the Thank show you notes. so much.
1: And thank you for having me on. This has been great.
0: Thanks for the work you're doing.
1: All right. Take care. Thanks.
0: Thank you. I hope that sparked some ideas or possibilities for your own journey. If you'd like to go deeper, I invite you to click on the link in the show notes to join my newsletter, where I share more on these topics, point you to community resources, and share cute pictures of animals. I only send it when I have something meaningful to say. A friend put it well. With your newsletter, I feel like the predictability is in the quality, not the quantity, and it feels delightfully magical to have it pop up whenever it feels like it plus you can respond directly to me which i love that link is in the show notes or you can easily find it at my website mattiamurai.com m a t t i a m a u r e e.com